from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is a version of the OG Vine Bear podcast because we have no guest host today, Zach. Just you and me, man. Just, I know. just back when we were young whippersnappers just, trying to plant our flag in this whole podcasting space. I know. I feel like people are going to be like, oh, God, I don't want to just listen to Adam and Zach. <laughs> I mean that is a lot what a lot of them said back in the day too, to be fair. <laughs> hey. So uh so what's going on, man? So what have you been I mean, I know we 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 had banter, we also talked drinks. What what have you been drinking recently? Uh well I my, my favorite sort of fun story lately was uh I got an email from my mother, uh, who I do see on occasion. She takes care of my son uh once a week and she comes down here and usually has dinner with us and she emailed me and basically said, oh, you know, a friend of mine was telling me about this thing called orange wine. And, mm. you know, have you ever, do you know anything about this? Or can you tell me a little about it? And I was like, well, yeah. And they like, if you're interested, like I have some, we can try one when you're down here. So uh, she was down here last night for dinner and we, oh, she tried her first orange wine, which was from a producer here in Washington called Two Vintners, uh, which is their, uh, it's an orange wine made from Gewürztraminer uh, that I quite like actually. And, uh, you know, she, I was, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, but, uh, yeah, mom was into it, which was cool. Um, you know, I don't think she, she wasn't like buy me a case, but she was like, I would drink it again, which is, which is great. So yeah, that was kind of fun. And, you know, just, uh, it, like I don't get the opportunity to try, you know, pour something new for people ever anymore. Cause you know, here I am locked in my house, but, uh, mm-hmm. but once in a while get that opportunity, at least with my mom and occasionally, <laughs> and occasionally my wife, but my wife has definitely tried more wine in her life than my mom has. How about you? So I had a really cool. So I don't know. Have we run the Papina interview yet, or has, will it we have not? The- that'll be or that'll be out for those of you listening to this on Monday. It'll be out Wednesday, and it's very fun. Yeah. So so I interviewed uh, James O'Brien, who owns Papina, which is a great restaurant uh, in Brooklyn, and it has this. So he basically has like the tiniest indoor space. Like it's very small. And in, in New York, you would call it cozy. You know, before COVID times, you call it cozy, <laughs> and you'd love it, right? Because you'd basically like have to make sure the other table knew you were getting up and you were going to squeeze by theirs and maybe your butt would like bump their glass or plate, but like you loved it. Right. But then he has this massive outdoor space. I mean, so big that it's like, it's crazy. You can you, like, I'm like, this exists in Brooklyn. It's just a huge backyard. He used to have a bocce court back there. Now there's tables on the bocce court and then like a driveway. Um, and so I interviewed him just about what's going on for him. And then he invited me to come by on Friday of last week and have like a, a glass of wine. And so I went with him and then uh, a friend of mine, Dave, who I've actually also interviewed on the podcast, who owns Lalu um, in Brooklyn as well. And it's funny. I got to try a wine that you and I have talked about before, but I've actually never had before. Uh-huh. It's So there's a wine that I think we've chatted about, Zach, that has blown up in New York that doesn't seem to have really expanded much out of New York, but in New York, it's like a very hard Barolo to get, and it's Rwanda. Oh, yes. That's right. And it's Rwanda Paye or Page, or I'm not Italian, so sorry that I butchered that, but P-A-J-E. And in you know in the city, it sells for $150 to $200 a bottle, easy, um, and it's very heavily allocated. I think it's either brought in by Polliner or Skernick, one of the two, um, and it's just you know very prized by psalms here and i'd never had it before and because you know you know sadly there is there's been restaurants that have closed some of these wines that have been that were allocated are now easier to find again and so um you know he had a james had a few bottles and he i just was you know mentioning that i'd never had it before because the way he's now doing his whole restaurant is obviously the counter service and you can see all the wines on these ama- these beautiful racks you know across from the counter and i saw it and i was like i've never had that before and he's like well you know do you want to pop it and so we did 
and it was really delicious Barolo. I mean, it, it cool. was, it was, I mean, sorry. Oh, we had the Bar- Barbaresco. My bad. We had the oh, Barbaresco. Okay. Um, and it was delicious Barbaresco. You know, I, I thought it was great. I've had other really amazing wines from, you know, other Barbaresco and Barolo producers that I think, you know, are as good or if not better. Um, but I, I did think it was a really beautiful bottle of wine. And it, it just sort of, you know, so then I tried to just t- chat with them about, why it has become the thing and it just seems to be have become the thing in the way that a lot of things become a thing right it was initially this was a producer that obviously is i think they're organic and biodynamic but you know about 10 12 years ago they were you know more affordable on the market and so a lot of psalms started discovering this one because it was a producer they could afford um and then it just got they got everyone in new york got more and more excited about it and became like the thing because everyone was drinking it and so then it became more and more allocated and that's (laughs) what drove the price up um but it wasn't like a you know there wasn't a random piece of press that came out about it or some you know a big collector that had a huge you know collection of it and someone realized you know it was just again it was a bunch of just people in the industry in new york who got so excited about it that everyone just started buying it and so it had to get it got more and more and more expensive um and originally they were just excited about it because they were originally able to like sell a, a glass of i think he was saying like their dolcetto which is delicious apparently you know for eight dollars a glass and that's how people got into the producer and then it just it drove from there and i think that's really interesting how that can happen in in wine markets beer markets too spirits you know but it's, and especially in these little pockets because i remember when i was talking to you about it when we were in italy and you were like what producer <laughs> and like yeah. and you know italian wine so it I was do. just it was very funny and that happened to me too with a well-known psalm from dc i said the same thing i'm like wow we're only four hours from you um and it just proves that yeah it was, it's just like a, a weird phenomenon here uh in yeah. new york that is always been funny but it was fun to try and i was and i'm glad that i had the opportunity to so yeah so this is you know this is coming out uh, right before thanksgiving we thought we'd take the time to sort of have an episode about uh what we're thankful for uh, this year and i know that feels like for most of us there's not a lot to be thankful for this has been a really insane year probably one of the most insane years of most of our lives um you know not to discount anything that anyone might have gone through personally that probably could have been just as hard if not harder than, than this year um but this has been a, coll- a year of collective hardship for you know everyone around the world, but there are still some things to be thankful for. Uh, and so, Zach, I thought I'd kick it off to you first to just sort of you know what what are some things that you've thought about as we reflect on this episode that you know you've been thankful for this year. Yeah, well, it's actually interesting. One of the things that was on my list, and it's such a natural transition from what you were just talking about, is that one thing that I think has really been nice, in a sense, as a as a um, side effect or silver lining of of covid and and all the unfortunately all the the harm that it's caused the restaurant and bar industry is that it has a little bit reset the wine allocation market um and i think that you know we've talked about this a little bit in in past episodes and at least in passing about one of the real unfortunate elements of of the way that wine wholesaling tends to work in this country is that you know, there is a lot of, uh, of wine that you would think that as a restaurant or as a bar, or even as a, as a retail shop that you would, you know, you're willing to pay whatever the wholesaler wants for it, but because you don't have a long track record of buying it, or you haven't been around for a while, or, you know, your sales rep isn't super well connected or who knows what, that you have a really hard time getting those, those wines. And it can be a long process to work your way onto those lists. And, you know, that, that isn't a thing that's unique to wine or unique to uh, the, the sort of 
wholesale business, obviously, there are certainly wine clubs out there that if you as a consumer want to join, you might have to wait on the list for years for. But but I think that one thing that's been kind of nice is I think that you're, you're seeing some distributors and, and importers start to reconsider whether a model where you know, these wines that are considered, you know, that are some of the prize gems in their collection, does it really do them good in the in the long run? Does it do the producer good? Does it do the importer and distributor good to have those wines keep going to the same few accounts over and over again? And that in the end, you know, if you're an importer, producer, or distributor who wants to both get more people drinking your wine and frankly, eventually be able to sell it for more, it actually probably behooves you to have it a few more places. And, and I think that you're going to see, even as, you know, whenever we move back to a slightly more normal restaurant and bar situation, whatever that looks like in 2021 or whatever, I do think that I will be curious to see. And I suspect that a lot of these wines that were, you know, so difficult to get are there's for one, there's going to be just more of them out there because people aren't going to have as much capital to invest in very high end wines. But also, I really do think people are going to say, you know what, maybe it is better for us if we have a little bit more presence in various different restaurants instead of only uh, and retail shops instead of only selling to a few because, um, you know, they're the long standing partners. Yeah, man, I agree with you. I think that's something that I've been thankful for as well as there has been just a lot of really cool wines that I've now been able to get at, you know, places close to me that, you know, they've all told me they, ha- you know, they never would have been able to have before. Um, and that's been great. And, you know, I, I think I get the allocation market. I get why it exists. There's just producers that don't produce a lot of stuff, but it's cool right now to see that there's people who are getting to have access to wines that they might not normally have been able to have access to because, you know, there's, there's just, you know, they, they're, you know, they're not the friends of the, you know, the person normally selling the wine or whatever. And so they, they don't get you know, first dibs. Um, so that's been great. Uh, you know, I'm really thankful for the fact that I think a lot of us, you know, has, have rediscovered how pleasurable it is to, you know, make cocktails at home. Oh yeah. Um, I think like I have really challenged myself and watched my friends challenge themselves as well to make really delicious drinks uh, in the comfort of their own home. I, you know, discovered the daiquiri this year. I mean, it's always been a drink that I liked, but never, you know, thought enough to make often. Um, and now, you know, in the summer, I think, you know, we talked about, I made it every Friday evening. Um, I discovered what it, why you should always just have a bottle of simple syrup in your fridge. Right. I challenged myself making, you know, really interesting whiskey cocktails and, uh, you know, things I not, wouldn't normally make and looked up recipes from bars I used to love. And I think that that experimentation has made me actually a stronger appreciator of cocktails when I go out because I actually understand what's going into the drinks more. Um, and I understand the craft that it takes to make really high quality drinks. But it's also, you know, made me really enjoy being home and whipping something up as well. Yeah, it's just been that, that has been a really nice thing and an excuse because I don't think I would ever have delved as deeply into making cocktails at home as I have had we not, you know, been in quarantine for the for the months we've been in quarantine. Yeah. And I think that you're, I mean, in general, I would say even uh, cocktails are the biggest example, I think for sure. But, but in some ways, I think like the one of the things I've been thankful for for this year is like, just remembering how nice it can be to just like, have a drink at home, period, whether that's uh, a cocktail, a glass of wine, a beer, whatever. Like there are things I love about going out and I miss desperately, but but like because it's been 
all that I've most of us have had or, or or the main thing that most of us have had, I have had to kind of remember like, yeah, you know, it can be actually really nice to just to have the like, you know, to not have the sort of the stress and pressure that goes with being out and like, you know, even something as simple, which is probably not as big a consideration for you as it is for me in Seattle. But like, you know, it's nice to be able to have that third drink and be like, I literally just have to walk up a flight of stairs. I don't have to do any more to get home. Um, <laughs> I wonder, you know, I'm curious about this, Adam, you know, do you, do you sense that for you or maybe for people more broadly that when, um, you know, hopefully we move, you know, whether that's uh, more widespread vaccine distribution or whatever in the, you know, six to 12 months down the road, do you anticipate sort of being, more willing to entertain and have cocktail parties like is this newfound knowledge or or at least expanded knowledge and comfort going to translate into sharing with people because to me that's the one thing that i do miss really is like being able to have drinks with people besides you know my immediate family so yeah i mean i think that the the first time i get to entertain i'm probably going to go crazy <laughs> you know we have like one friend who's in a, in our pod um you know she lives alone and uh is a really close friend with Naomi and I so she'll she's been coming over and even when she comes over like every like other week and she'll stay over actually the night in our uh in our spare bedroom like I go crazy cuz it's like it's another person and I get to entertain I think I will do that to like the thousandth degree um you know and I definitely think I will be more likely than I used to to have a cocktail when people arrive. Like I used to always just be like, oh, I'm I'm already cooking and stuff. And you know what I mean? I are, are busy getting ready. We would have people over for dinner. Here's a bottle of bubbly. And don't get me wrong, I love a bottle of bubbly, but now I feel like because I've gotten really I feel like I've gotten really good at um at making cocktails, I want to show that off. Right. Yeah, so I feel absolutely. like I'll have cocktails ready to go, which uh is is super fun and exciting and something that, you know, I didn't used to um you know, do that often. The thing I'm really thankful for, and I think we're talking about entertaining, but uh, it's the perspective that this has given. And I've seen you on Instagram doing this as well is like, I love that we've realized that like, we just need to open shit that we think is delicious. Um, You know, there used to be so many bottles of wine that like I'd gotten and I'd been, I'd been saving, you know, Oh, I don't know. And you know, these past nine months, whatever, I've just opened so many of those and it's been awesome. And I've and I've always thought like why was I saving this? Like this was <laughs> this made like this made Friday night even better, you know? Like we, you know, so like this Sunday actually. I mean, sorry, the Saturday night, um Naomi and I are like, you know, obviously having another night in. Um but I'm just going to make like um so someone, you know, a good friend of ours sent me like, you know, some truffles. Um, and so I'm just going to make fresh pasta with butter and open like one of these really amazing bottles of Nebbiola. Nebbiolo I have. And, uh, you know, like I'm going to, it's a, it's just, it's a chig, Chigliuti. And it's one of my favorite producers. I'm going to open her, her Barbaresco. Um, and I'm really excited about it. And I think, again, that was a bottle of wine that I would have saved. I'm like, you know, for dinner party, I'm like, no, no, like the, the best thing is to like make fresh pasta with butter and truffles and eat it with Naomi. Like, why would I not want to do that? You know? So I think those are things that we've all kind of realized we should be doing more of and has been something to, to, you know, reconnect with in all of this. I'm going to switch gears a little bit yeah, and talk man. about something else that I've been really um, pleased by, which is that you're and it's, it's again, by necessity, not necessarily by choice, but I think you are seeing a, a real uh, 
interesting shift among craft brewers to really canning and bottling almost all of their production. And and I say this as someone who lives around a lot of craft breweries. Um, one of the downsides for me about that in the last couple of years is that with a young kid, you know, pre-COVID, we would sometimes go hang out at a brewery and have a beer or two. But like, you know, he's not super happy to do that and and wants to be entertained. And I don't want to ruin other people's experience if they're not out with kids, um, which is a challenging thing. And but the problem is, you know, like a lot of these breweries, yeah, you can buy a a, a bottle or a, a six pack or four pack or whatever of some of their core beers. But most of the things that they're doing that are really interesting were only on draft. And I totally get why. I mean, for one, it's, you know, in many of these cases, maybe a slightly more uh, the 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 beer itself is maybe slightly better when it comes off draft as opposed to out of a can or a bottle. And I also understand that, you know, they're going to make, you know, it, the margin is much better on, on a draft beer and they don't have to pay for canning and all that. But I will say selfishly as someone who does most of his drinking, as previously mentioned at home, and will probably be doing that even when COVID is, is not a, as big a concern. I really love being able to go get really cool, interesting beers from breweries around me and even you know there's more than ever before um from even from breweries all over the place on in distribution now and i think that's hopefully something that that persists i i get it you know i i won't fault breweries for returning to the previous model of saving a lot of their special beers for for you know taproom only draft only release but i really hope that that there's uh you know a recognition that they're missing certain bits of their potential customer base who just can't go to a brewery all the time. You know, they just don't have that ability for whatever set of reasons. I agree, man. That's been super cool. Like, I think we've talked about this before, but I've had, you know, all of a sudden like the grocery store two or three blocks away from me, that's like not a Whole Foods and not a Trader Joe's, you know, it's like one of these sort of corner grocery stores. I think it's like, you know, one of these local chains, right. That we have in New York, like it's not, it's not an associated, but it's kind of an associated for those of you that are New Yorkers that, that also kind of get what I'm going with our key foods. Um, and all of a sudden their beer selection just gotten way better and they have threes and KCBC and like all these really great beers and their beers that you're right. I wouldn't have been able to get unless I'd gone to the brewery. Um, and now they're there and it's, it's cool. And I also have liked that a lot of breweries have started really getting heavily into delivery and that's also been awesome. Right. So I've been able to do cool beer deliveries from, you know, stuff like, uh, gosh, Torch and Crown and, uh, God, there's so many. Um, I want to say KCBC again, cause that's what I just did recently. But you know, like just all these really great breweries in New York City, other half um, that you just you normally wouldn't have been able to do. You would have had to go to the brewery to get. And I think you know delivery has been dope for that and for cocktails. To be honest, you know, there's been also really cool cocktail bars that have done really great delivery uh, menus that have been really added to my weekends. You know, so so those are things that I've been really really excited about as we've continued to to watch people innovate. And I think that's I guess that's my overall thing I'm thankful for is just that you know. The restaurant and bar world never fails to disappoint when it comes to innovation. It's always pushing forward. And that's what I think makes this industry so exciting to you, me, and everyone that listens is that it's an industry that's never stagnant. There's always people trying to do new things, always people who are pushing the envelope. And even in COVID-19, when like you guys, I mean, I know we talk about this every week, but it's true. Please write your Congress people. Uh, even when Congress has failed to provide restaurant relief, the people who work in these businesses are still pushing forward and they are still, you know, they're trying to figure out how to have the most amazing experiences for their guests outside. 
you know, they're trying to figure out what menus look like. They're changing their models. They are creating incredible cocktails that you can take to go. They are figuring out how to turn their, you know, their restaurants into hybrid wine shops. They're, you know, creating to go cocktail bars, you know, on, you know, on wheels. Like we wrote about with the, the, the company in LA that created an ice cream truck that was also a cocktail bar. Like people are just doing the most amazing things. Um, and it's, it, you know, just proves that there's, there's a special kind of person that goes into this industry. Um, and that cannot really be held down by anything, even when the government's, you know, not wanting to support them at all, which, you know, is what the fuck is happening. So, um, you know, that to me has been really just awesome to watch and to watch how much the industry is supporting each other. You know, there's, I mean, we talked about it on one of these other interviews that I did recently. I think it was with Ruffian, but like there used to be, or no, maybe it was Papina. You know, there's just not the competition. You know, everyone just wants to help each other succeed. And everyone's really sad when they see something go out. And I think that's just awesome. And it proves that there's just a special kind of individual that goes into the world of restaurants and bars. And, you know, I think it's great that the, that the, the, the other side of the business, the, the producers have been supportive. Um, you know, I would encourage the producers to be more supportive. Um, I know that I'm seeing a lot of restaurant people, this is not me on my soapbox, but like I'm seeing a lot of restaurant people who were very vocal when they were trying to help a lot of the producers stop the tariffs, you know, and we're trying to help a lot of the producers, you know, make sure that the prices were the way that they should be. I'm not seeing as many producers to be very honest, being as vocal on social media and things like that in helping the restaurants and pushing Congress to pass relief. And I understand that's because a lot of producers are making a lot of money right now because your channels just changed to off premise. But it'd be great to see that same kind of support that the industry gives when there's wildfires and things like that. So the producers, the producers give to the restaurant industry. I'm not saying it's all producers. Let's be clear. But, you know, I do think that there, there should be a much louder voice than, you know, people like Bobby Stuckey always, you know, on Instagram and Twitter and whatever, reminding people to constantly, you know, call their Congress people and write, you know, elected officials and say, look, like we got to help the restaurant industry. Because if we don't, we're going to be screwed come January. And this has got to happen before then. So um, thankful for the amazing you know, camaraderie and just, gosh, resilience the restaurant business has and the people. And I'm a little disappointed in some of the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll try and keep things on the positive note. Totally. I think actually to that, to that effect – um, a thing that as someone who, you know, spent a long time working in restaurants and have felt a lot during this during this year is that one one I think it's a positive thing for me is that, you know, the reality of the restaurant industry is is being uh examined and explored in a way that it just had not previously. And that's in part about just the financial realities of the industry and how precarious it is, even in good times, and and how unsustainable in some ways a lot of the the things that we took for granted pre-COVID were. Um, it also goes to some really, really painful and hard conversations about representation um, and, frankly, uh, discrimination and abuse and all these things in the industry. And again, you know, these things coming to light are painful for sure. They're painful for, for most of all the people who are, who have suffered um, in, in these situations, but also for people who generally, you know, love the industry and love things about it. it it's never fun to have this stuff come to light, but it's so essential to moving forward as an industry moving forward as a, um, as a broader conversation about, about drinks and, and their place in society. And, 
And so I do think that one of the great things, you know, in addition to all the innovation you talked about, Adam, with, with, you know, service and, and delivery and, you know, even the, the how, how drinks are made and, and designed and all that. But there's also been a real, I think, some real incredible um, uh, forums created, conversations started around um, inclusion and equality and um fairness in the, in these industries. And there's a long way to go. I don't mean to say, ah, we have arrived, but 2020 feels like a year that we will remember for a lot of reasons. And, and I hope that this is one of them. I agree. I, I completely agree. Um, man, there's, I feel like there's a lot to be thankful for, to be honest, you know, there's like, um, you know, there, there, there has been some really good stuff that's happened this year and a year that has been also really shitty. Um, and, and, you know, and these are just a few of them. Um, but you know, I don't want to take, you know, I don't want to have an hour of us rallying off all things we thankful for. I I think we could, um, but I think, I think these are, you know, these are a good amount of things that we feel really good about and that we think, uh, you know, are things that will continue to persist moving forward. I just think, you know, we have to have perspective and support each other and, uh, continue to enjoy the things we're enjoying and, you know, not, you know, don't be precious about those bottles that you've been holding. And if you've got a beer that you, you know, a bourbon County stout pop it now, you know, and just, and just enjoy yourself. Yeah. And I think, you know, let us know what you're thankful for. Like we would love to hear Absolutely. Know, is it these things. Is it other things? Uh, is it this podcast? That would be delightful. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, we'll just give ourselves uh, a little compliment there. I mean, you know, gotta, gotta, gotta look out for the home team on occasion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as always, you know, shoot us an email at podcast at vinepair.com again, podcast at vinepair.com. Uh, and let us know what you're thankful for. We'd love to know what we'd love to hear it. And we'll, we'll read some of those uh, off on a future episode. Cause it'd be great to sort of share with everyone who's been listening uh, to the podcast since COVID pre COVID, et cetera, you know, what you've been thankful for this year uh, as we continue to, to push forward as a beverage industry. Um, Zach, you'll be here next week. We'll be talking about bubbly week, which is one of my favorite weeks of the year. And oh, for everyone yeah. else, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you back next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced by myself and Zach Jabal. It is also mixed and edited by him. Yeah, Zach, we know you do a lot. I'd also like to thank the entire Vine Pair team, including my co-founder, Josh, and our associate editor, Kat Winston. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.